What's poppin' everybody? Welcome back to the Black Hole Podcast. I am your host, Evan Malik McDonald. Here on the Black Hole Podcast, basically what I do is I bring in some of the coolest, smartest, most talented people that I know to talk about whatever they want and to entertain you, the audience. Uh, I know it's been a little bit. It's been a, it's been a week, a couple weeks. Uh, we took a little break, a little hiatus, but today we're back with a very good friend of mine, Luke Beckerlow, one of my first friends in college and a, and a phenomenal cinematographer. We talk a little bit about allyship, a little bit about Vermont, and a little bit about history. So yeah, check it out, peep it, and I will see you on the other side. I got Luke Beckerlow here, a good friend of mine uh, for a few years now, actually. Uh, actually, my first friend in college, uh, yeah what's up man hey dude how have you been i've been i've been good you know uh quarantine's really played a little toll on me i uh, i feel like i've gained weight it just looks like i gained weight um i don't know if i have though it's just you know it's one of those weird things putting on that uh that full covid 19 the 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 covid the covid 19 uh well no i mean like the covid you get the 15 i know but it's a whole 19 pounds oh i get see now here we go covid 19 yeah yeah that covid 19 yeah yeah yeah. i i i hope i mean honest i'm underweight yeah you are you are i could (laughs) i could definitely yeah I, i could use the weight but uh yeah you know tell the people a little bit about yourself and like what your whole deal is and like what you're doing now and what you were doing before COVID. Oh boy, yeah. So I live in Brooklyn, New York. I uh, study to be a cinematographer and that's really where my my passions lie. I work, um, earn most of my living as a gaffer and set electric, which has been really fun. I've gotten to work with a lot of really great um, New York directors of photography. I don't know, I've been noticing more and more when I say DP, people are like, what does that mean? Um, yeah, or they'll yeah. make jokes about it. Um, right, but right. cinematographer sounds like really pretentious. So it's kind of, it's kind of a, yeah. So that's, that's what kind of brought, that's what's been guiding my life the last few years, just working in the indie and commercial world mm. here and then totally came to an end. I mean, no, as far as I know, there's no film production happening in the United States, um, if not well, the world. they actually started, there's, there's a few sets I know in LA that are opening up again. Uh, smaller sets, I know that Tom Holland is doing an Uncharted movie and I guess they started refilming again. So like there are sets opening up, but, but to be honest, I don't see those sets lasting for very long. It's, it's, it, it is kind of ridiculous. I mean, just, just relax. We have plenty of films on backlog, and I, you know, it sucks because there's a lot of people out of work right now. Like I was, you know, before COVID, I was PAing some stuff, and now that's that's kind of out of the window. Um, even, even like I also do performance, like I do stand up, yeah. and that's also out the window. So like, it sucks. It really does suck. But you know, you, you gotta totally. You gotta keep going. Um, I'm kind of getting to that. I don't know what really stage you're getting to, but I'm sort of becoming more comfortable with with the situation um it's like the initial shock kind of wore off a couple of months ago um yeah yeah my roommate steve and i yeah my roommate steve and i've been doing this uh this video journal uh which was actually inspired by i am legend because i remember i've been really i don't know i like to sort of live my life 
through analogies. Like a lot of my jokes are based on like comparing things mm. to blockbuster movies or mm. historical events. Um, so I kept thinking about I Am Legend and like New York being quarantined and locked off and people being scanned by soldiers. And I was like, oh shit. And um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I mean, for real, like I was, I was uh, in Boston for some time. And I guess this is this is definitely like leading towards yeah. the protest, right? I was in Boston during the protests, and it, it was like Cloverfield. You had like armed military in their Humvees and tanks, just like every, like in the streets. They were just can't believe that. driving around doing stuff, and it's just like this is so surreal. This feels like an yeah. I saw a meme in, um, I guess it was in the what are the, what's it called the emerson meme page shit posting i don't know what it was but it was just a, a mm. it was the mm-hmm. starbucks that we used to go to all the time on tremont and boylston oh with yeah 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 like five national guard soldiers in like desert camo and i think i commented like oh man so sad to see this uh starbucks completely abandoned you know because the because the camouflage uh, yeah yeah, that's <laughs> that's that. Funny enough, that's actually the corner I got. Dude, well, yeah, can you uh, t- t- tell me, remind <laughs> me about that? I was I protested myself, but I New York has been. It's not been like that. I mean, I think New York is so. Um, yeah. Just vo- potentially volatile that I think that our leaders have been trying really hard to avoid. Mm. Too much. Right. Right. Well, I you know I've seen like. I've seen cops like hitting protesters Jesus. with cars and stuff. Like it, you know, it, it is more aggressive than it should be. But basically, in in Boston, and don't get me wrong, Boston's been like, you know, peaceful for the for the most part. But the first major protest we had, it was there were like tens of thousands of people, and we were right downtown, right by the state building, which is for you know for some of you guys, it's, it's the uh, building with the golden dome on it. We were all there and we were just protesting behind the gates because there were like maybe 12 cops right behind uh state troopers right right behind the gate and they were all in like just their normal everyday gear and they're you know there were tens of thousands of people just protesting saying you know kneel black lives matter blah 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 and so there wasn't a curfew in boston at that time right there wasn't an actual curfew there was like a i guess um an assumed curfew by everybody and so as soon as nine o'clock hits the protest you know starts dying down people are leaving people start heading back to the trains which is in the opposite direction and i swear to you and yeah an army of riot police flank us and start gassing us uh and 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 but the thing is so so okay i'm, I'm gonna try to yeah. do some map making here so you walk down um we're walking down from the state house towards yeah. tremont right and for you guys who don't know Boston, there's like this area downtown which has basically every um, access to the subway. There's the green line, which is, you know, that, that goes all over the place. But then there's the orange and red line. That's where most of the people of color live, right? And so the police not only locked off those access ways to the orange and, and red line, but they also had the army of police officers come from that direction. So in order to get to the train, you had to pass like a army of armed uh riot police and so they flanked us in tremont and they started firing at us uh with tear gas and stuff and i don't know if you've seen the videos but people were throwing uh you know some of the canisters back i i I met a guy who who was i met one of the guys who threw one of the canisters back uh but it was chaos it was absolute chaos it was a peaceful protest and then it just turned to absolute chaos and then the uh then the military came in the next day and 
oh and there were riots yeah the riots that you know there was rioting which uh you know you know it, it happens the thing is what people don't realize though was that the rioters weren't attacking mom and pop stores right they were attacking targets and the h&ms and like the stores with like with, with insurance with billions of dollars uh worth of with their protection so like you know it it, it wasn't as aggressive or 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 ridiculous yeah. people assume it was you know it was peaceful it was peaceful and the, and the cops totally instigated that's it. that's just such a um a metaphor for the whole reason for the protests you know it's amazing there's been so many moments that you could not write in a script for a movie you know that the president is yeah. coming out yeah i don't know about about you i mean if you've changed but i i think we're both still pretty uh anti-trump uh yeah uh <laughs> that's what you call it anti-trump to out I, I feel like i'm an extreme not to out, like out either of us yeah but <laughs> not to, um, <laughs> the president coming out and saying we're going to wage war against anti-fascism um to mm-hmm. to say we need to use the national guard to put down an anti-fascist mm-hmm. uprising and it's like okay so um i'm not a i'm not an english professor but I believe that mm. anti anti-fascism is not super far from fascism. Um so that for example that just seems like yeah. something that would be written in a young adult novel about a big dystopian mm. um future. I feel bad for people that write dystopian stories because this must be it must be really difficult to to keep up right now. Um Oh dude, I don't know if you ever read um I, and I, I hate myself right now for forgetting, but Octavia E. Butler, uh, who was a, was a black writer, actually wrote a book in, about a dystopian America. And the president is like the, the bad guy, right? He's just like this tyrannical, crazy dude. And his a quote that he actually uses, and mind you, I believe this book came out in the 80s or the 90s. But in the book, the president yeah. says, make America great again, or, you know, a version of that. Um, so this, you know, this certainly does mirror a dystopian future. And like, I, so I, I know you want, one of the things you wanted to talk about today was, I guess, uh, uh, media specifically film and I guess TV and how that plays a part in, I guess, this yeah. conversation. Right. Um, and, and just movements in general, like, you know, you brought up, I am legend earlier and maybe not the movie, but certainly the, the books, uh, you know, it was about how the legend, the, the protagonist, was the actual monster the entire time, right? It was kind of a, you know, I, I personally think it was like a, I guess, a dissection, a dissection of, of your yeah. like knowing thy neighbor, right? Where in in the book he attacked these, they were vampires, I believe, in the book, and he was attacking these vampires every night, and he was like hunting them, and he finds out later down the line that he that they weren't the monsters, they were just trying to survive. He was the monster. He was the last human who became a legend, a legend, a bad legend, if you will. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 weird. It's it's crazy, you know, just how 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 uh, you know these dystopian books kind of mirror. Yeah, one of the right things now. that um, one of the shows that's almost become too much for me is The Handmaid's Tale. Um, I started. Mm. One of the reasons I got really into The Handmaid's Tale is uh, I was incredibly lucky. I got to work with. Um, Zoe White, who is the DP for, mm-hmm. I believe it was all of season three and, and 
half of season two or something like that. But she she's had a substantial role in in shooting the movie, in shooting the this this series, and uh, so that was really exciting. But it takes place in what was Boston in this like post um, revolution, um, post United States America called Gilead, but it took place in Boston. So there are these you know women are being you know, essentially these pregnancy sex slaves. And it's, you just hear all the rhetoric that we're hearing now from the far right. And it's just, it's so chilling. But I remember living in Mission Hill, like Roxbury Crossing in Boston at the time. And there was a scene where they, um, you know, they're breaking into, um, breaking into somewhere and they see where they're storing all the road signs because they had torn everything down to change the names of everything. And like the green line, which the show, made look a little mm. less green than it actually is it doesn't it, i don't know it's it's an interpretation of boston but just finding all these road signs and seeing right, the road right. sign for mission hill which was like something that i saw all the time on my way to the t and it was just like god this is so mm. close to home and recently i've, I've kind of stopped being able to, to handle it because it's so devastating and it reminds me of especially now that america is like isolated and even canada is not letting us in um and that like Canada yeah, and Mexico yeah. are doing better than than we are with the humanitarian crisis it's it all feels really real and i think that tv in particular tv yeah. shows which i don't think that the golden age of tv has ended and i think that it's um it's so to- it's so topical things like black mirror and i mean house of cards which i mm-hmm. i don't watch anymore for obvious reasons um were just right, such right. an important uh tool for helping us reflect on on what's really going on, you know, seeing things draw, drawn. I mean, every movie, every TV show is a dream. It's not based on real world conversations and real world understanding. Because if it were the real world, um, it would be incredibly. Uh, I mean, I, it, this, I guess everything can take you take this with a grain of salt, but. Um, it should be based on the way that we interpret time and images in our in our minds, where we as we're dreaming where we're on this subconscious journey mm-hmm. and I think that reflecting back all the pain that that everyone's going through right now um, even, you know before the virus and, and as media is being made again um, that's so important for helping us just kind of process the the feelings around it you know every time a major you know I spent a lot of time in high school studying like World War II propaganda films um, of all sides, you know, like from the U.S. Mm-hmm. and the British, and of course the Nazis were really big on that. Like the the Riefenstahl and the right, the right. Harlan um, films were just really well funded. You know, all the major powers were funding the shit out yeah. of their um, out of their cinema as a way of helping people understand the understand where the the morale is understanding um i guess it was nationalist in a way i guess it was patriotic mm-hmm. and a lot of it was um from the at least from that the allies side a lot of it was racist i mean there was a lot of really terrible yeah. um, propaganda about the the japanese american folks folks who were right kidnapped and um, placed in concentration camps you can see that and you can see movies from like 1943 or earlier with um you know talking about china and 
how they're really victimized by the Japanese, which is amazing that now our propaganda, if you will, ignores the time that we were looking at China as this like peaceful, victimized people. And then it's, and then right, right. things are so, one of the things that Stan says a lot is about history rhyming. And that is such an important way to put mm. it about Stan being your, yeah, one yeah. Of your, your first guests on this, this very program. He talks about how we just see things played out again in a different way. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think that the media is, is enormously uh, important to the way that, that these things play out and the way that we improve or not. Yeah. I mean that you know that that is something to talk about because the people who control the media are the people who can 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 control that narrative, right? So you talk about World War II and the propaganda, right? So it's it's easy to talk about how you know what America is doing good, what America the American troops are doing, what 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 what, what we're doing is good, um, but we don't see the opposite side of that, right? Like my grandfather, he doesn't really talk. He fought in World War II, he doesn't really talk about it too much, but like he definitely talked about the racism in it right we, we don't see that from the american side so like and and the reason the only reason we didn't see that was because the government the media controlled or the people at top control the media right which is something we see now it's a conversation we're having you know you know fake news fox news cnn they're all biased blah 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 but people still pay attention to that you know people still watch that and they hold that true um i you know i there was a time when I watch corporate media like every day and I was like, all right, this is what I'm, this is how I'm going to get my news. But as of recently, that's not, I don't think that's the right thing to do, right? Like a lot of, a lot of what I've been seeing, a lot of how I've been learning about what's going on in the world is social media, right? Especially during these, these, these protests, it, it is social media. And, you know, I, I see that as kind of an extension of uh, media, I guess, because people, people, you know, they, they, they pretty up these videos, right? They make these little fun videos, these little music videos at these protests um, and, 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 yeah. and what have you. And like, yeah, I, I, I think, you know, media, media is important. I, I think that media and art is probably one of the most important things in, uh, I guess, expressing information, right? Because nobody wants to sit down for three hours reading a newspaper or reading you know, a, a, a history book. They want to watch it, right? It's so much easier to watch and hear somebody tell you what's happening rather than actually trying to go out yourself or reading it yourself. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, I definitely think that media forms an era, you know? Film and TV form a certain era. They they push this idea, they push these ideas and make something status quo. That's why we, I think we see a lot of... Um, you know, I, I remember while going to Emerson, I took a, I believe it was, it was like the history of TV, the history of like TV and movements, right? And one of the things that we stopped on was Ellen DeGeneres coming out when she did. And that was a, apparently a huge moment just in terms of uh, queer queer advocacy, right? Where that was, like, it, it seemed like in, in this book I was reading, I don't, I don't remember the book, or no, it was actually an article. In this article I was reading, it just seemed like Ellen coming out uh, of the closet was like the big turning point in, in, in accepting gay people because oh Ellen's this crazy cool comedian and now she's gay and now it's acceptable and I feel like that you know people some certain people see media in, in that light you know which is, I, I think is kind of a it's kind of a dystopian and kind of dark way to look at it yeah one of um I don't know I, I, I kind of want to talk a, a bit about how I have 
looked at media and particularly media that's meant to entertain as I have um, mm. gone through the different phases of understanding uh, racism and white privilege in, in my life. Mm. Um, I mean, the story of how, how we met was kind of, was kind of, it's hard to forget. It, yeah, I think it was pretty funny. I mean, it was, uh, <laughs> it's I recently got into a, a long debate with Stan about like what semester everyone met each other. And he, I don't know, we went back and forth and we ended up calling you. I think it was the first day I did the video journal. Um, so that, mm-hmm. um, yeah, we hit like day 100 recently and we stopped doing it, but meeting um meeting you i think we had to talk about our superpowers in this little like five person group oh, yeah so they're like what would your superpower yeah. be in the first person's like i would be telepathic so i can figure out what's going on in other people's brains and then what about you and then you said i believe yeah what did you say oh you would say i basically I was, so yeah so basically i was like i wish my superpower was to look white uh in front of right no you said the nypb in particular <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, the NYPD. Yeah. Right. See, yeah, you know better than I do. <laughs> but yeah, but but that's that's kind of a thing though. Like that's 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 something interesting because like, I, you know, yeah. not not to like go off on a tangent, but like, it it it, it is kind of that. It you know I, I guess that's something I deal with every day so it's it's in a messed up way kind of normalized for me but I came with that that's you know that's that's pretty impactful you know like it, to, to a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, saying that. But yeah, it was basically I wanted. I want to see white to the NYPD. It's interesting because at that time I didn't know much about what the NYPD is like, uh, almost nothing. And mm. that was the week that I moved to Boston from Vermont. So I was 20 years old. I think mm. I was turning 21 in like a few days. And it was 20, early 2016 and uh, Barack Obama was president. And we were still mm. in the Paris Climate Accords. We were still in the, the JCPOA, the Iran nuclear deal. Was we were we were working that out. Uh, things were things were improving. It was an interesting time to to be transitioning. But for me, it, yeah. it was the first time that I lived outside of Vermont. So I, my parents um, were not born in Vermont. They you know they grew up in the regular places mm. people are from, like Maryland, Ohio, Connecticut, just like. <laughs> Places, places people come from and um, found their way to Vermont just through the, the transition towards Vermont becoming this like really liberal hippie state. So just tons of right, right. mostly college educated white people moved there and turned it from the most Republican whitest state in the country to the most liberal whitest state in the country. <laughs> which is which is very interesting because you know i i you know you're from vermont i have several other friends from vermont and what's interesting is that like it's it's like reverse hickism right it's like a reverse hick community where it is very white and it's very rural and there's like you know you know people are farming they have you know they have they, they, they do their little maple thing and it, yeah. but it's so liberal right like i mean that's that's Bernie's home. Like that, it's it's such a liberal place, and I find that absolutely fascinating that that can exist in America in a messed up way. Because you think of like most white-only communities are typically extremely racist, 
kind of uneducated, you know, just places I wouldn't ever want to go to. But it's just very fascinating to see Vermont in a bubble, but it's in a very yeah. specific, it's a it different is. bubble. You know, I, I kind of want to like pick your brain about that because it's, you know, obviously you imagine, oh, you grew up in a white town, in a white state with white people, you went to school with white people, you're going to be this type of way, right? You're going to have this type of ignorance. Uh, but I'm just curious about just growing up in a more liberal environment. How does that, how, how was that bubble like? Because, you, you know, you, you live in New York right now. Uh, you lived in Boston. Boston is kind of a bubble as well. But, you know, you went to, I'm assuming, a little a, a school that was a little more diverse than the schools that you went to in Vermont. Um, I'm just curious, like, what was that like? Was your bubble popped when you left, like, entirely? Or was it, like, I mean, you already alluded to that a little bit. But, you know, how, how was that change? How was that that change for you coming from, like I said, a liberal bubble to? Yes, that's a, that's a great question. Um yeah, I, mean, I grew up on a dirt road um, that's actually a dead end. Like it used to connect to another town, and then it was flooded out by beavers. So it's, uh, which is a really cool hike. I'll, I'll definitely bring you uh, you up there. Um, that's that. I mean, I'm not gonna lie. You said it was flooded out by beavers. I yeah, I mean, just, it was like in the '70s, and I've heard people say like, "Oh yeah, you know, we used to go all the way over," and then the town just kind of gave up on it. So they use a different route now to get to the other, uh, to get up to like Morrisville, Elmore. They go around, uh, they go up on Route 12 uh, rather than rather than Eagle Edge Road. Uh, so that was my world for like most of my life. And then I spent, uh, I went to Marlboro College, and, which actually recently was bought by Emerson, which is the most ironic thing in the world. Um, yeah, Marlboro College in Southern Vermont, that. went there for two years. Um, and Marlboro was cool, but it was like less than 300 students. And uh, we were all incredibly progressive. Like I felt like a conservative there by comparison. Like people yeah. were really serious, hardcore communists. And I I felt almost attacked just for having these views that were more like Bernie Sanders slash Obama style of being a Democrat, like mm-hmm. more like left of Obama, but Basically, basically, mm. I've identified with Bernie Sanders' politics since high school. I mean, because I've met him many times, mm. and um, I don't think he would remember me, but because he meets everybody all the time. But I've asked him questions and talked to him, and um, yeah, he's he's completely genuine in a room of he's the same exact person in a room of five or ten people as he is out and about. Um, yeah, not to not to right. ramble about the nostalgia of a time when Bernie could have been could have could have still been president, but you know, yeah, yeah. I mean, he's still in the That's primaries, the thing, yeah. right? Technically. Um, <laughs> so yeah, just grew up really wanting to learn, you know, wanting to learn about the things that uh, the mainstream might ignore. So just like kind of growing up like incredibly anti-war, you know, going to. Um, a protest against the Iraq war with my mom when I was seven and I remember I was really into spy gear back then I don't know if you remember that yeah the spy stuff oh yeah yeah no, it's I because spy, I spy kids spy gear, yeah. came out I had to watch and yeah and the reason that yeah, spy yeah, kids exactly, it's amazing exactly. we bought all the spy stuff the reason that that all happened was because spy kids was made by Robert Rodriguez who um, made El Mariachi mm. and like 
has this amazing indie filmmaker story. But I, I heard, I mean, this might be a rumor, but he chose to make a kid's movie because of the merchandising opportunity because he had seen what had happened with Star Wars and how wow. Star Wars made more money from just the toys. So he was like, oh yeah, I'll just make a kick-ass kids action movie. Um, yeah. With Isn't that great? That, that makes sense. I mean, listen, that's that's where the money is when you're yeah. like, hey, that's amazing. That's, I think I think whenever I work on my big indie feature, yeah, I definitely totally. try to sell toys as well. <laughs> I think yeah. yeah that's, but that's, that's why, cool. anyway, so I had a, a bunch of spy gear with me. I remember at that protest, I could probably find the, the picture having my little like spy camera, except this was, <laughs> what, 2003, 2002? So the spy camera like, would have right shot yeah. film. So I remember it shot, it was a, um, a 110 film camera that attached to a pair of sunglasses, mm. which is just like, kind of, by today's standards, it's like, really, that's your best attempt at a, at a discreet image making device? Because it looked like, I mean, it was yeah. like bigger than an iPhone <laughs> um, attached, to your, attached to your glasses. But I got into it, yeah. But real quick, can I, can I just say, that i i think it's okay so first off like you know i for for you people i i grew up in new york city in, in new jersey just like this little tri-state area which is you know pretty liberal but like you said you went to an anti-war protest yeah. in 2002 2003 that like for me that wasn't even on my radar you know and i'm sure that's the same case for people in this area it's just like yeah obviously people were you know some people are anti-war but after 9-11 people were so gung-ho they weren't even thinking about the, the the darker sides of war they were just ready to you know get back at the, at the yeah brown uh, people, right so i i think it, it very i mean that's I, you know just see again just a like that's that's the liberal bubble that you found yourself in. I think yeah i mean i grew up cocky to be totally honest uh, cocky about yeah. being on the right side of things and i think that's something i've struggled with how, figuring out how to be um how to be relatively sure that I'm correct about something and then not be unpleasant about it, <laughs> you know? And it's challenging because mm-hmm. right now you don't need very much to be correct. You just need to know that you should listen to right. medical professionals and you should listen to <laughs> people when they tell you that they're being murdered. You should be like, oh, oh, let me let me yeah. um, take some time to listen to your to what you're telling me that it's not very difficult to just be on the right side of things because so many people are so fundamentally wrong and they don't want to learn that's one thing i've noticed there are just so many people that don't want to learn so being um i I don't know i i I just as a kid thinking about the fact that my parents were really against the iraq war and like they had protested a lot during like the hippie movement and had kind of been like full Mm -hmm exactly full-time activists but like it really like my parents had both been arrested for protesting and yeah um, i made a joke a few months like month at the beginning of the pandemic i think just ironically i was like i think my parents are a little bit disappointed that i've never been arrested for protesting and a lot of people <laughs> that know me and like friends of my parents commented like yeah definitely they are um and then and then george <laughs> floyd was murdered after that and uh, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, I'm this, yeah, but I don't, I, I didn't get arrested and I didn't really, 
want to because I'm really worried about the pandemic. I mean, that was such a, we've yeah. talked about that too with the protesting, the pandemic. I was so convinced at the beginning that protesting would spread it and I am was so wrong, mm-hmm. you know, because, you know. Mm. Which is crazy because you, yeah, you you think that that would be the case, but like, I, you know, we've both been a protest. They're kind of the yeah. most sanitary places I've been. You know, they have they hand out masks, they hand out sanitizer wipes, yeah. they come sanitizing your hands, and everyone has to wear gloves. And they, they keep saying that they're like, if you come to these protests, wear a mask. That's all we ask of you: wear right. a mask and chat with us. That's it. Um, and you, you know, in in a, in a weird way, it just also doubles as a as a, as a deterrent for yeah. tear gas in some ways. But like, it, yeah, I, you know, it, it that is, it's not only a worry, but it's just frustrating that we have to do this during Correct. a pandemic, right? It's not like, oh, we're we're bored, we're gonna we're gonna protest now. It's like we have to, you know, we this, this we're we are being killed in the streets. People recording us being killed, being lynched on the ground. It was basically, it was essentially a lynching. You know, they got rid of the ropes. Uh, because it was too obvious. Now they're just throwing yeah. us on the ground and sitting on us, right? Kneeling on our necks. And so, like, it's it's um, it's unfortunate. Like, I don't, I didn't want to have to go out and protest. I went up to Boston to visit my girlfriend, right, for for a few weeks. I I had no intention of going out. The I, the plan was we were gonna go up. I was gonna go up. I was gonna stay in her apartment for a few weeks, and that was it, right? We're gonna just we quarantine together. No, I was there for a week and then we had to go protest because it was about survival. And that's that's just that's annoying. It's frustrating. But like I said, it was, it, you know, th- those were some of the most sanitary protests yeah. I've ever been to in my life. Yeah. And know? it's I, that's an example of thinking I'm right and being so sure that I'm right. Um, why I need to be careful about it, because I was so mm-hmm. sure that I was right that be- marching within six feet of one another um, would lead to a humongous spread and a bunch of deaths and closing the hospitals. And as at least media I've consumed, it's, that was like a month, more than a month ago. No, there's been no spike because of the protests. Mm-hmm. And I need to, that. That was kind of proof that I need to just not always be sure that what I think to be true is true. And I mean, that kind of brings me back to mm-hmm. the, the attitude I had in Vermont, you know, that, um, yeah. People thought that Vermont was unbelievably progressive, and it was. I mean, there's like a food culture that I really admire around like organic, local food. And I grew up vegetarian, actually. Ended up transit. Yeah. No, yeah. Very strict vegetarian as a kid, and then transitioned away from that in like high school. Um, and okay. sort of started to become more more mainstream. And those those are the times when I would be at, at gatherings and, and would hear racist jokes. You know, that that period of time when I was leaving the, the, um, the safety of my, you know, isolated vegetarian middle of the woods world and then hang, hanging out with, you know, just becoming a cool kid and, and would hear some things that are that really, um, at the time, I can't say that I knew that I needed to do something about it. That would be Right. I'm not that cool. I'm not that good. But I think I knew that I wasn't mm. comfortable. I wasn't comfortable with it, you know. And but I don't think that. Yeah. Yeah. Does that make and sense? I, I feel like. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. No. I mean, I was. I was just gonna say. I feel like that's kind of the case with a lot of white people, white friends of mine, is that you know they know that they're wrong, or they know that like what's happening is wrong, but they just don't know how to approach yeah. it right. You know. 
like I, I know a lot of my white friends also just got hip to what's happening with black people right like they, they always knew that you know black people being murdered by the police are bad you know what happened to Trayvon Martin was bad what happened to Michael Brown is bad but they never really understood it until yeah. now you know, until they saw the video of George Floyd, until they saw the protests, until they saw what happened to Breonna Taylor, until they saw exactly what was happening. And I think, you know, a big part of that is is, is quarantine and COVID and, and, and Trump. And I feel like a lot of us have been radicalized because yeah. of Trump, especially. But, you know, I, I I do think that, you know, there was always a danger. Like you, like you said, you know, you, you had to overcome believing that you were right all the time, right? Which I feel like is easy to develop when you're when everybody is on your page, when everyone basically agrees and you know and that's kind of been changing for you but like when you're in a place where everyone basically agrees on the same things you just think that that's the right thing that's that's just the right yeah. thing right and like i i've i've also experienced that where like i i've you know i know what i a lot of what i say is right you know things i talk about when it comes to race things i talk about when it comes to certain, you know uh, with, with the economy and all this other stuff like i know as a fact that they are right and these are the right things to move humanity forward but then there are certain things i say about women's issues and i get called out and like part of me is like wait a second wait hold on let me hold on but then you have to understand that like there are nuances that i will that you will never get in some of these aspects right like yeah we both emerson college is if you i'm not even joking it's the gayest school in the world you google that's it, what google i was it, and like it's number one told way before it. i went there in the in like <laughs> before the tour and everything and like i you know i know you and i both are i guess more adept on uh queer identities and queer culture we know more about it than the average straight straight guy but there are even things about that that we don't really understand yet or just know in, in general nuances and we just have to humble ourselves to accept that and i you know I, you know you're obviously on that road i'm obviously on that road right now just humbling ourselves so and and that, and, and no honest that's that's where we differ right that's where i believe like we differ from the the, the, the people who are on the far right we're like yeah they're also in that place where they are in bubbles where people just agree with them but they're not willing to change whereas we are willing to change our views if we have a conversation yeah, I, I think that that for a lot of my life i i've made mistakes for sure as far as being uh, there were times when i did not understand white privilege at all uh, because mm-hmm. that was the standard to think that that wasn't real you know that's how i, I grew up um, right the most progressive you could be by the standard of the time and, and the culture you know I think that that's one of the things that I you know that we talk about civil rights in elementary school and we and we learn a lot about Martin Luther King and, and we I mean I'm learning now that that's not how it was for every like southern elementary school or every everywhere in the country right, um, right. but you know the teachers really wanted us to be um, aware but I, I learned recently that some of the things yeah. we did in elementary school are really not okay um, and like oh, oh boy I don't want to get I don't want to to uh, put my small town <laughs> in, in, in shambles but uh, to learn more about we were focused on a continent and this teacher mm. uh, is amazingly gifted when it came to storytelling about other cultures he really wanted this is this is a white guy who, who really wanted us to be 
aware that there's a big world and it's beautiful. And he, he truly did an amazing job right. with that. But by the late 90s, early 2000s line of thinking, there was, it was colorblindness, but celebration of, of culture, you know, and that was sort of the approach. Mm -hmm. And so we, we, there was a lot of cultural appropriation things that, that, that were done in the interest of helping these, these rural white kids, um, learn about the world. So I, we, we would try on these Middle Eastern traditional outfits and we would, we, uh, there was a, a unit that was all about the continent of Africa. And I'm sure, I'm sure that I don't remember the, the exact language that was used in these lessons, but I'm sure that there were ways of describing it as uh, a one singular place, which is something that, that is, mm. is mm. misguided and, and people spend a lot of time, um, right, right. you know, it's important when you're, you can't just say, I want, I want to visit Africa. You know, that's, that's, we don't, we don't say that anymore. Yeah. And it's like, I guess sometimes people say I'm going on a trip around Europe, but you would, you would not, um, mm. it's not it's just, it, it's unfair and it's a, it's a trope. I don't know yeah. if I can exactly articulate why it's right. unfair, but it's just, it's a trope and it doesn't work. <laughs> well, it, it is a trope. I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's a reason why there, there's a quote that uh, Africa is not a country. Like pe people say that, you know, people say that all the time. Nobody has, I've never heard anybody ever say Europe is not a country. It's implied. Because we know that, right? People just know that. It's, it's, it, yeah, it's like <laughs> when, when I've never heard somebody say, oh, I'm going to Europe. No, it's like, I'm going to Switzerland. I'm going to France. I'm going to blase blah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that, that, that is pretty bad. I'm not, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's, yeah. that's pretty bad. Uh, I, I get the idea, I guess. I, 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 you know, it's, it's, you know, just walk in somebody else's shoes or something but it is very tone deaf uh, as we know now i mean back then people were still wearing headdresses and uh you know dressing as quote-unquote rappers yeah. but yeah i mean it's it's uh <laughs> yeah i mean I'm, I'm sure that's not accepted anymore in that school but like yeah i mean but that, even that is interesting itself because the rhetoric i understand the rhetoric makes sense and that's something that i don't i wouldn't have experienced in, in my school right like obviously we learned about the king and all that stuff but like we never had a unit where we had to learn about other people's culture right we just learned about a little bit about history we learned about some countries but we never learned about somebody else's culture which i think is very important because we we when we don't learn about somebody else's culture we tend to characterize yeah. it right so uh you know I, i'm trying to give like an example in the best um, no go, no, go ahead. Well, yeah how about this so yeah I, I saw on instagram today this is pretty bad i saw on instagram today sebastian stan the guy who plays winter soldier in the marvel movies his girlfriend posted this oh. picture of her dressed as a geisha and she was like oh hashtag asian yeah. party right and i sat there and i'm like all right well first off this is just bad in general you shouldn't be wearing like geisha outfits and just trumpeting it but like also uh first off it wasn't even a geisha outfit she said it was a geisha outfit it wasn't a geisha outfit it was like a it was, it was like a, a chinese garb but the thing is you can't just say oh asian 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 party asians asians it's i mean for one it's it's culturally chinese right 
right so that's 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 them in that aspect but like again like i i do think that we tend to characterize them when they are unknown and the, our only experience with that is the media right so like if you didn't know anybody else's culture and say you watched i don't know fa- family guy or whatever most of your life you're gonna assume that the 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 races in that show are like that in real life if that makes sense right and again going back to why media is so important is that it is a thing that uh i guess supplements our lack of interaction yeah i mean i i think that that example of the overt cultural appropriation um i think that's a good way of of explaining just what I was coming to, what I was leaving Vermont with, which was um, this mm-hmm. serious desire to be, uh, to listen and be aware of other cultures in the world, but just not getting it. You know, I think that's really the that's the yeah. culture, and yeah. and and I don't mean that to 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 shit on um, Vermont. There's so many things that I love about it, and it's awesome, and, and it um, and it. Right, they right. really encourage people to, to have these questions. And also, um, elders have this value a- around listening to young people there, I find. That, like, my parents and I had a lot of conversations. I mean, they listened to your, your podcast, by the way, and they liked it a lot, and they learned an, an enormous amount. And thank you, thank you. they, when I, you know, they, they wanted to, they want to know. They wanted, they, you know, during the conversations that a lot of people had after George Floyd, my, you know, my parents were like, so what are the things you, what do you know that we don't know? And I think that I'm really grateful for that. Yeah. That um, curiosity and that openness to, but that's one of the first, you know, some of our first conversations were just sort of me acknowledging that I'm coming, I'm, I've lived in this bubble and I need, and I, and I really want to learn how to be, right. it's my intention to, to be an anti-racist, to live my life as an anti-racist mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean that i'm gonna gonna be gonna do it perfectly and it's my intention to be an ally but i don't know that i know what that means you know and that's sort of where i was in 20 early 2016 and where i, I still am and, and you know that, that again that just goes back to just talking about how important media is in in terms of that especially i mean you know uh the minstrel show uh as, as we all know that's where you know blackface kind of originated and extremely racist and you know white people put blackface on and pretend to be black people and a lot of the audience members thought that's exactly how black people were right that's people you know a lot of these white audience members obviously didn't interact with black people with black culture they didn't go to black parties or black clubs or anything like that so they truly thought that the way these actors were acting on stage in blackface were how black people were in real life that's where the watermelon thing came from that's where like the the weirdo goofy you know i'm stupid oh blah, blah, blah. like that's where all that came from right and and that's obviously a dangerous example of how media and entertainment affects the masses i mean uh and i i think we're better now with films like you know get out and and and, and um, you know uh what else what else black panther to some degree I, I see a lot of films trying, you know, a bright Netflix is bright, which is absolute trash, and I hate that film so much. I don't know if you've seen that movie, but it's it uses orcs as an allegory uh, for like, racism. It's so bad, man. Like holy, like, holy shit. But you know, I I do think like yeah, you're you're in a bubble. Like that's sometimes it's just impossible to escape a bubble. Like Vermont's a bubble. I'm sure there are like maybe five black people in Vermont in the entire state. <laughs> uh, I would I I've always I've always wanted to go. 
uh y'all have great maple syrup oh my gosh those little maple syrup candies i would kill somebody yeah i'd love to take you on a tour (laughs) to your good things yeah dude i i i man i that's my vibe i would love to have like a vacation home in vermont just to like escape the bullshit you know down here um but like you, you you were in a bubble you couldn't escape that so it's important when you try to at least you know go online and see what's out there it's important to have these larger uh, uh i guess i guess uh, entertainment monuments to to view to see like maybe this is what the this is what the outside world looks like yeah. you know um i mean moving up to boston my entire uh what i the only thing i knew about boston was scorsese movies right that's that, I, all my knowledge of boston came from <laughs> and it was pretty accurate i'm not gonna lie um the departed was pretty on point it, they're racist and they say the n-word and everyone looks the same um it was pretty on point so thank you scorsese for that but like it, it, it is important you know I, I think it is it is something to to strive to make and strive to view when you're when you're in these bubbles and it's, it's a way of like kind of popping someone out of their bubble right it's it's it's, it's like a, a a minor pop it's not like a huge explosion. i think um pop. yeah for me in in you know i went to the Obama inauguration with my with my mom and mm. the the first one. Which one? And okay, I was so excited, I was so excited, and that you know I started to. I guess that was sort of before I had started to to want to learn more about racism. I I think that was mm. just I was just really political at the time. I was really worried about like single payer healthcare and things like that because. Vermont, we were having a lot of debates about whether or not it can be done individually in Vermont and like the Affordable mm-hmm. Care Act is happening. And I, I guess I've always been really, really into politics and just was really worried about stories I had heard about different genocides, I mean, the Holocaust, but also Rwanda mm-hmm. and some of the like mm-hmm. post Soviet things that happened. And I think that I started to want to learn more about. Um, you know, at the end of some kind of documentary that's like, think about what you can do today. Just like a cheat often comes across as a little yeah, bit cheesy, yeah. but it's like, how can you stop uh, the early seeds of the... And I think that I, it's simple. I was just kind of affected by those little calls to action and started wanting to find mentors. Yeah, so do, do you think, and yeah, I don't know, but do you, do you think that, I guess... You're, I don't want to even say reluctant, but I guess your your lack of awareness of racial, I like just r- racial issues in this country. Do you think that came from a place of you just thinking it's over? Because you know, I, I you know, racism is still alive and well, but I feel like our generation, people our age, we have a different yeah. relationship with it because we we had a black president for like most of our lives, right? For the most part. We, uh, we, you know, we watch TV, we see black ta- protagonists, we see black directors, like we, we still have, we, st- we have representation that our parents certainly didn't. Do you think that played a part in you? I- I'm not saying that you thought racism was dead, but do you think that played a part in, I guess, your uh, your, your, your lack of focus? Yeah, I mean, I think that area. Obama um, becoming the president when I was transitioning from middle school to high school it was like oh wow like things are good things are going well here you know and yeah. the trauma of the iraq war which i 
followed pretty closely through that whole, it's amazing that these things are still going on. Right, like, Iraq right. and Afghanistan has been a part of my life for the majority of my life. Like just, just talking about it, thinking about it. Oh, yeah. I, I, don't, I haven't been Same. affected personally, but I've just like worrying it, about it. It's, we're, yeah. we're just, it's, it is our life, right? Like the internet, yeah. the Iraq war. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so yeah, I definitely became a little bit, uh, I, I think I started to think things are improving and we're going to see improvements. And I think a lot of liberals mm -hmm. kind of shut off their activist. Um, I remember in, in Montpelier, the capital of Vermont, in front of the only federal building, which is a post office, there's a group of, pro there's a group of protesters every Friday that just protest and they do it every Friday. They've been doing it forever. And obviously throughout the 2000s, they was like, end this war, no more Iraqi blood. And like, it was always my dad would be like, oh yeah, I want to join him one of these days. And he, you know, he never did. It was sort of like a, almost like a hobby for them. And I remember in 2009, 2010, thinking like, why are these people still protesting? Obama's president, come on. This is like, I get it. You guys like to protest, but it's Vietnam is over. I feel like I said that so many times in my childhood, like guys, Vietnam is over. Like that was like the thing of my childhood. It's like. Is, is, is that, so that, is that the Vermont thing? Like people protest? Yeah, people protest a lot. I mean, people are activists and there's like very environmentalist, yeah. like anti-nuclear and a lot of it's pretty great. Um, but yeah. I, so yeah, I did get a little switched off yeah. until um, I, I wanted to do this sort of independent project in high school and I met this mm. this woman who, who knew my mother really well but she was an older black woman maybe she was in her like late 70s and she's passed she passed away a couple of years ago but she her name was Paige Paige Bailey and Paige Wadley Wally Bailey and she um, grew up in the south and like in, I, I'm having a hard time remembering the exact timeline, but when she was in elementary school, her uh, teacher, her elementary school teacher, whose name was Ethel Moore, was a, like an activist and was organizing for like voting. And I think she worked for the NAACP or was like a volunteer of some kind and was targeted and murdered by the KKK, her elementary school teacher. So imagine being mm. a little, a little kid and then you have this wow. teacher who's like you're imprinting on you're wanting to be like them it was amazing and then it's like she was just murdered by a white supremacist yeah. terrorist group right. and then so she she told me i mean i have i have in, i mean i did interviews and i have some footage that i need to do something with um my life's work is dedicated to continuing what she was doing and she did that and she's been she lived in poverty her whole life and she so I met her towards the end of her life and she's like, she moved to Vermont in like the late 80s or there maybe early 80s. I don't even, I don't remember. Mm -hmm. um, and was like the only black person in the whole town. And she just told me mm -hmm. these stories about like seeing another black woman on the street. They didn't know each other. And they would just, she would see just this like TV moment where they like ran up to each other and hugged they didn't know each other and they were just like <laughs> they felt like family because they were both in this world of like these progressive white people who probably just weren't were like microaggression factories you know yeah it's it's like it's like seeing an, it's like being on an yeah. alien planet and seeing another human you know I, i've experienced that like you know emerson college uh 
while I was there, I believe fluctuated between 1% black yeah. and like 4% black, right? Um, and that, that would happen. Like, I, I'm pretty sure that's how Stan and I started hanging out. We just met, uh, we, were this, we were just in some weirdo group and we just saw that we were both black. Um, well, actually, we went to the same But that was that, ironic. That, that, that was a big part of it, too. It's we super ironic. It was, yeah, very ironic. Completely, like, all black people <laughs> are from the same place. We're all related. We just so happened to go to the same school before Emerson. Um, and we didn't know. But, yeah, that, that is something that we do is just because, like, I, I believe, I, you know, I, I think, especially in certain... I, I guess communities or institutions, right? Where, for example, college, uh, black you know, black people don't typically go to college. That's kind of the the idea in America, right? That's that's the American mythos. Black people don't typically go to college, especially black men. Black men go to prison. That's it. But seeing another black man in college is is substantial. Like it's 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 it just it's like we made it. You know, that's the, I think that's the thing is like we made it. We're together. We know each other. We know where we came from. We know what we deal with. We don't have to have a conversation about like our issues at this school because we both know we don't have to have conversations about living in vermont because we both know what it what it's like um i remember when i graduated college um and i i think you were yeah you were there um when i, when I graduated I, I don't think you saw this but when i graduated uh i was at the reception afterwards and this random black father i've never met in my life i don't know his kid i don't know this guy's name he came up to me, dapped me up. And another black father did the same thing. I, I had like three black fathers I've never met just come up to me, dap me up and congratulate me. Because the thing is, we, we know the struggle. We all know that struggle. And it, it, there is this type of connection, right? All black people aren't the same, but we still have that one connection that branches us all together. And when we see each other, we know that we're, we're, we're kind of family. You know, we're family under racism. So that's, that's amazing. Yeah, that's yeah it's sort of... That that is an amazing story. That um, but that moment of graduation was. I think that it's so easy for for white folks to kind of forget that graduating from college being an implied family thing. Um, I mean, you you'll hear complaints from you know more suburban white folks around like oh i have to go to college there's so much pressure why do, why is what is this cultural thing about like your father went to college and his father went to college and his father like why do i have to go to college it's right, like right. it's so easy to not realize that that itself is is a privilege right that you could go to yeah, exactly. that your great great grandfather had the ability to go to college and i think that i've been i've been kind of trolling these far-right facebook groups recently and um, because I really am concerned about what's going on and, and what's being said and I think that yeah, it's hard, like I've said, it's hard to be right. It's hard to know what's going on. And I'm kind of trying to study these, these, these people to see like, what are the, what are the things that they think about? What do they feel betrayed by? Like, what are they angry about? And I, I not to, to, yeah. I, I, it's almost like a sin to compare far-right people than Nazis too directly because it's like a cliche at this point but that's too bad because yeah but it's too yeah, bad like, because it's true and, and I think that what happened after World War you know, both of us are super into history and that's maybe one of the reasons we hit it off yeah. so well uh, but I think a lot about one of the greatest lessons from the World War One, World War Two saga if that's 
correct term, is that when you punish someone after they fuck up, when you punish them too severely, yeah. they will snap, get really defensive, and then do what we know happens. And that's what happened with the Weimar Republic. Yeah. You know, you have this stupid, stupid thing, the stupid war, and like, it seemed like there were a lot of war crimes on both sides. Um, but it's hard to see that when you're, mm -hmm. when you think you're right and you don't want to question it. And um, so I'm concerned right. about what happens to the alt-right after we, it's almost like I have this desire to prove to these people that they're dumb. And that is really dangerous. And that's something, that's one of the reasons why I don't think that I would make a good police officer, you know, to be totally honest, because I know that <laughs> I'm a little bit stubborn. And when it comes to yeah. like, hey, did you know that like what you just said is racist and the other person, I mean, not, not that I just go around calling people out, like that's my approach to solving racism. Like when you see something on Facebook that's like incredibly racist, like ridiculous, yeah, yeah. you want to call it out. And anyway, so I've sort of been studying the enemy from within and I'm thinking about how if let's say I did have a face-to-face -face meeting with these people and I and I used my and I were to uh, take advantage of the privilege of them listening to me because that's what white privilege sometimes is and if how could I possibly what are the arguments that would get through to these people that are really angry and feel feel attacked and they're tired of everyone calling them racist all the time they don't get it and I can I think that one of the best things is like okay let's talk about let's compare grandfathers let's compare great-grandfathers and I think that, yeah. that in yeah, this yeah, yeah. blind in the not acknowledging the invisible knapsack of white privilege you don't um, it's so it's amazing that you can just ignore the fact that there were laws a hundred years ago less than a hundred years ago that literally explicitly stated what what some people couldn't do and that you think that that just somehow doesn't affect a family that like if family's so important which we yeah. talk about all the time and and the uh, the legacy and the the passing down of abuse and the passing down of good things and the passing down of of names and the passing down of, of like oh yeah we we're patriot supporters we like that football team like that's that's a thing that's passed down how is um, privilege and, and advantage not passed down. That's, everyone's always tough. I mean, you, if you were just to sit down and ask a white person about their desires, like in, let's say the average suburban, I'm just thinking of a hypothetical person who would be a little bit resistant to any new ideas, just to say, um, to ask them about their, their thoughts on school funding, you know, and you would get some pretty right. racist things pretty quickly. I mean, I remember in high school hearing things about affirmative action that were really, really, at the time I didn't know that they were, I don't know if I would have said them myself, but I didn't know that they were so wrong about how like, oh, the reason it's hard to get into that school is because of affirmative action. That was just a normal thing that people would say all the time. And it's upsetting to me that at the age of 18, I, I as mature as I thought I was, did not understand that that was, white supremacist language and that that yeah you know yeah truly hold on i'm dude that's genius yeah, I'm, i gotta I'm take a piss to too that's sorry perfect. i've been drinking like i love it <laughs> all right all right well yeah I'll, i'm gonna keep recording yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'll, I'll be yeah yeah we'll recommend. and that my friends is part one of this two-part conversation that i have with luke becker low uh weird cliffhanger i know but next episode is going to be pre-lit. We're going to talk about the Invisible Knapsack and pornography. 
look at that um thank you guys for listening if you enjoyed the podcast like and subscribe if you didn't comment if you did comment but yeah we will see you guys on thursday peace